Welcome to the More Than Coach Speak podcast. My name is Chris Holtman. I'm the head basketball coach here at Ohio State. I'm joined by Terrence Dials. Terrence was a terrific player here at Ohio State, and he's currently on our coaching staff. We look forward to bringing you uh, interesting and insightful guests who will really dive into the topics of coaching and leadership in athletics. Please enjoy today's podcast. All right, today's guest is someone who is, uh, again, really well known um, in Columbus and uh, really nationally for his expertise in coaching and leadership development and program building. Urban Meyer is today's guest. Uh, Urban and I got to know each other here our first couple years, and uh, I, I just think his uh, thoughts on coaching and leadership are some of the best I've uh, I've ever heard. His success is is incredible. Three-time uh, national champion, obviously national champion in 2014 here. An overall record here at Ohio State of 83-9. and Three-time Big Ten uh, champion, uh, two-time national champion, uh, obviously at Florida. And uh, now has transitioned to a phenomenal uh, career in broadcasting. And uh, I think adds so much to the Fox broadcast. So hopefully this will be great for coaches, uh, for Buckeye fans as well. Uh, Enjoy today's podcast. All right, coach. Great to, uh, great to have you here and, and super excited to have a conversation. Um, I I said in the intro uh, how much uh, you meant to me here and continue to mean to me, particularly in my first couple years here. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, you know, we, we've obviously developed a friendship and uh, I'm really uh, pleased that you can spend 30, 35 minutes with us here because I think it's going to really help coaches here. Uh, the, the first question I would I would kind of throw at you here is how um, different is Ryan's job now than yours? And I know the obvious answers will be NIL transfer portal. Um, and, and feel free to touch on those. But you guys also took over different programs and there's different challenges when you take over a, a locomotive that is rolling at a high level versus one where it, you know, the one you took over needed massive, you know, just needed some 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 core changes. I'm just curious how different the job is. Well, great to be with you, Chris. And I'm one of your biggest fans and a great friend. I I used to really enjoy our breakfasts together. And, you know, the one thing about sitting in your seat, Coach, is it's a lonely job. So I, I really appreciate our conversations. So I, I think uh, for Ohio State people and even, reg- you know, non-Ohio State people, Ohio State's never really had that downturn. Yep. You know, Alabama, uh, the the rivals, uh, Penn State, you know, the, the Florida Gators, the Texas, the USC's, Every blue blood program in recent history has had one of those downturns. Yep. Ohio State's avoided that. It's an amazing when I now that I can reflect, I look back. You went from Woody Hayes to Earl Bruce to John Cooper to Jim Tressel, Luke Fickle for a year, and then myself and now Ryan Day. I can't imagine a more consistent program. We had a we had a downturn one year. Yep. And the one year was Luke Fickle was an interim, a great coach. Yep. He took over for a legendary coach, Jim Tressel. And they had, people don't remember, I'm not, I don't know if they do or not, but many, many suspensions. 
Uh, I remember the stories Luke would tell me that he on Thursday would not know who's playing in the game. That tells you how ridiculous that was. Hmm. And when you look back now, and I, I'm not, you know, I, I can say what I want now. That was ridiculous what happened to Ohio State and Jim hmm. Trussell. No at doubt. That time. It was absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Hmm. And Jim Trussell is a great man, a great friend, and great coach. So it really wasn't that big of a transition for me. There are things we, we do it very differently, uh, Coach Trussell and myself. But deep down, very similar. You know, he had good players in the program. We recruit a little bit more on a national level now than Ohio State did. And Ryan's continued that, which is plus and minuses to that. But the expectation is, you know, Jim Trussell uh, did a wonderful job, won a title in 02. Uh, we won it in 14. And Ryan Days, you know, he he's sitting in that chair that, you know, when I, when I handed him the whistle, I said, all right, here's the deal. You win every game you play. You never lose to the rival. You graduate at 100% of your players. All players go to the NFL, high draft picks, and no one ever gets any type of trouble off the field. Yeah. And I I put the whistle on and said, <laughs> you got it, Tiger. Yeah. So that's the world he lives in. Oh, yeah. It is. Um, and you've shared this with me. You know, you've when you came and you talked to our staff the first couple of years, you know, you talked about the enormous – you can't lose a game. You know, you, I remember you saying that over and over you're, you know, you're at Ohio state, you're the football coach. You cannot lose a game. And you know, Chris wrote, I'm not to interrupt, but Billy Donovan, the great Billy Donovan was my neighbor in Florida. And I was at his house one time and, and uh, March Madness was getting ready to start. And he says, you know, March Madness is, you know, we were just sitting there talking and he said, March Madness, you can't lose a game. Yeah. And I said, Billy, Welcome to my world the last five years, pal. Yeah, I mean, you no can't doubt. you can't lose a game. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. The um, and you you and I have talked about this. Two or three strategies for you know, like this. We'll have uh, low major coaches who will approach March uh, or mid major coaches who will approach March, and they're saying, "Hey, I've got to win three games or four games in March." I cannot lose a game. The only way for us to get to the pinnacle, the NCAA tournament, um, is is to so, so they're under enormous pressure. You'll have high school coaches listen to this. You'll have um, you know coaches at all different levels who will listen to this. Your best strategies to manage the enormity of the pressure you felt was it, you know, keep your circle really tight, um, talk to a few close friends. All the all the self care stuff of exercise. What what were your keys? Well, I'm I'm I, when I was good, I was right. You know, my wife's a psychiatric nurse. I actually studied psychology my entire, you know, really my career, but in yeah. college. And I was a poster child for how not to do it at times. You know, I just that's something I just didn't handle real well. Chris is that. When we lose a game, it, it took me – it was like I got hit right square in the jaw and I staggered. And, and, was, and, and at times I would be able to come back. But if I really – one of my issues was I had a hard time blaming others. I would just eat it and own it. My, you know, I was like, I, what could I have done differently? And I would sit there and stare at my practice schedules. And I would yeah. – you know, people – I mean, there's, there's probably pretty good stories out there. I've heard some of them that, you know, what could we have done different? to yep. put those players in a position to win that darn game. Yep. And uh, I, I, to this day, I've been retired for several years. I still, every once in a while, I have a flashback of what we could have done different 
in a game to help that thing won. Now, now there are a few of them that you just said, you know what? And I moved on from it rather quickly, but there's other ones deep in my soul. I knew that our, myself and our staff would have done a better job of either practicing a situation, you know, getting that one or two player that, you know, maybe struggled in that game. If we would have made sure they were number one, taking care of themselves health wise and physically or strategy wise, you know, why did we ever, allow that player to be in that matchup that he couldn't win. And those are things that, you know, those haunted me. And so my, my advice would be, you know, it's, I had this great, uh, uh, he was a field commander and Blackhawk down came and spoke to our team and I'll never at Florida. And he talked about when, when contact is made or adversity hits, and by the way, adversity will hit, you have to be in great physical shape. You have to eat, you have to sleep. You know, that's just science. Yep. You have to be mentally right. You have to be, you know, you got to be, you know, you have to, it's a very complex game. Emotionally, you got to be right. You know, if there's other things in your life going on and that storm hits, you're going to fail. Yep. And spiritually, you got to be right. So yep. those four areas I would always try to focus on. And when I was in good position on those four, the number one, I said physically, when I, there was times, Chris, where I wouldn't eat, I wouldn't sleep. Yep. There's even a time I was addicted to some uh, sleeping pills that, that's the recipe for some bad stuff to happen. Yeah. I think it's hard for sometimes for people, you know, people are going to listen to this and they're in business or whatever, and they're in a high pressure jobs, but uh, it, it's hard to really relate to um, all the things that go into your mind when you're in these, when you're in these positions, um, all the, the, you know, the, the control that you have to, uh, give to your thinking and how you think. Um, I can totally relate to, you know, uh, the feelings after a loss of of just taking it all inward. Um, but I, you know, it's clearly. Did, did you ever feel like in some of your most pressure moments? There's that great clip of you against the team up north when uh, when you won that particular game and you almost collapsed on the field. Did you ever feel relief more than? exhilaration you know the older i got i was warned that would happen you know, i had great mentors along my journey and they said you know that's you know that's not good when that happens but it's also reality you know mac brown the great coach university of texas said i got good news and bad news good news is you won a national championship bad news is you won a national championship yeah. and for the rest of your life that's all that's going to be acceptable and you're not really from the outside because the outside's the outside but from the inside yeah and that was that's a reality. I've talked to many, many uh, people over the years, and I could ask because there's, you know, me and you've talked about it. That's not yeah. a secret. You know, yeah. I've talked to you a couple of times, and you look like you got hit right square with a baseball bat. No doubt. And that happens. Yeah. And how do you how do you respond to that is the key. And and I used to tell people having the mechanisms in place, and it's much easier said than done. You know, what do you do when that hits? Yeah. You know, mine was family, faith and friends, you know, and, yep. and I had a small circle of friends. Yep. I would never go anywhere. You know, uh, it's well documented. I really never went on a vacation for my entire coaching career. I just never would get away. I just if I did, we went somewhere. But I was on my cell phone recruiting and drawing, you know, fake yep. punts and yep. doing practice schedules. I never shut it off. And I would recommend if you can shut it off, shut it off a little bit. Yeah. TD. Gold, you mentioned earlier. Um, the differences between you and Coach Tressel as far as recruiting nationally when you got the job. Have you noticed or did you have to um, emphasize during the recruiting process, recruiting nationally, 
um, how important the game up north, what the team up north is, versus recruiting Ohio kids who grew up here. They know the importance of the game. Is that something you mentioned in recruiting, or is that something that they have to learn once they get here? TD, that's a great question. That's something that's and that is real, real. You know, when when Woody Hayes, eighty five percent of Woody Hayes' roster was from Ohio, where the footprint. Wow. You know, and then Trestle, uh, John Cooper went a little bit wider. Trestle brought he's an Ohio guy. And when I was in Florida, we actually played Ohio State, and I just felt when I came to Ohio State. I was actually shocked because I was in the SEC, and we all know the SEC. I mean, there's there's six teams that wake up every day think they should win a national title, and they have the funds, the budgets, the players to do it. The Big Ten's not that way at all. When I got to the Big Ten in 2012, there was us included. We weren't a national championship team. Uh, we didn't play any. You know, uh, how many teams in the Big Ten really think they can go win a national title? I got my opinion. I won't share it with you, but I, I asked the fan. I asked people, is it, how many really believe they're going In the SEC, they all think, I mean, not all, but I mean, there, there's I, at least six that have won in the last 20 years. And there's another three or four that think they should. So I wanted to really expand. I, I was, I wanted to expand our footprint. I had great respect for the South and the players in the South, Texas, and so we went, my rule was it better be a top five player in a position in America. And you better, if, for my coaching staff, if you're going to recruit a quarterback, you better look me in the eye and tell me he's a top five in that position in a country. And if it's between an Ohio player and a player from Phoenix, Arizona, we'll take the player from Ohio. But now if there's a differential, we better take that player from Phoenix. Because we, going back to our, our objective, Gene Smith made it clear, in my job description, whatever game you play. So we're going to take the best players. So to answer your question in a long way, TD, I was very concerned about that. We would constantly indoctrinate. Some people would say brainwash, whatever you want to call it. Every week we in the offseason, we would show documentaries on the game. I would test the players on the game throughout the whole facility. It's just it's constantly, you know, the robbery of the game. So to say, you know, uh, a player from, uh, let me think, a uh, uh, you know, J.K. Dobbins coming from uh, Texas, you know, he doesn't understand the game. I promise you, because first of all, the kind of guy J.K. is, but then also our running back coach, our strength coach, myself, it was constantly pushed in your face, that rivalry game. You, you so mentioned that, and that, that, that's really interesting. You mentioned that, and you've shared this kind of, the information that you constantly gave your players, you said indoctrinate, whatever it is, um, you know, so much of what we do is counter to maybe cultural stuff. You know, it's just, it's countercultural. It's different. It's, it's different than what they are hearing in terms of the sacrifices required, the discipline required, the team stuff required. Um, and, and you had um, these things that you, and if you could just share this, that you would constantly, you talked about sending stuff to yourself, uh, to their cell phones and then I'd like for you to talk just quickly about, you know, some of the quick um, verbal cues, uh, four to six, A to B, E plus R equals O, that you felt like were important for them to to hear consistently. Yeah, that's a great question. It's something that I was actually love. You know, I, I was my whole life was really studying human behavior, human performance, and 
the cell phone's an amazing thing. And, you know, it drives me nuts too. You walk into a restaurant or even, you know, you catch yourself doing, you're sitting there with your wife or your kids and you stare at your cell phone. Yeah. So I would challenge our staff and I, I became a nut with that. Uh, you know, if, if you're not going to stop it, so why not utilize it to get your culture, to get your messaging? So I wanted to control. I constantly, daily, sent messages out to our team. You know, and it was it was not, hey, how's it going? It's going to be about the rivalry game. It's going to be about the culture. It's going to be about some soundbite. And so this is interesting, Chris, that the soundbite, the, sound, the, the way the brain operates, in my experience and the way I've studied it, is that the brain responds to soundbites. It doesn't respond to... Hmm large paragraphs or even mm. long sentences, you know, it's about a three to four word, yeah. you know, something that catches and stimulates the brain, something that you can respond. The great Woody Hayes had a term called direct teaching. Mm. And so as I'm teaching the players, I would ask them right after I'm done, what did I just say? Yeah. That's direct teaching. If they can't say it, they didn't listen. To yeah. And it's not that they're bad, but there's a lot going on in a player's mind or it's too complex. Yeah. So instead of, I could tell right away if I had a team meeting and the team meetings were, you know, I, I hear people laugh about them now and have fun with, which is great, but they had to spit it right back at me. Yeah. You know, I'd say, okay, Chris, what did I just say? And yeah. if he didn't, one of two things happened. The player was not paying attention or what I just said was too complex. Yeah. And so you mentioned terms like four to six, A to B, that is something plus two, four to six, A, B plus two. Yeah. Those are very succinct sound bites that the brain can remember. Yeah. And every great leader, even the bad leaders uh, throughout history, what do they do? They they controlled the thought process of the people following them. Yeah. That's you know, in some in some history, it's called oppression. Yeah. You know, the Nazis were oppressed. They believed because not good stuff. But the great coaches also, when you hear players regurgitate or say back what their coach is trying to tell them, I'm telling you, Chris, that's the best feeling I've ever had when I'm sitting there watching an interview. And I see my players say, well, you know, all that matters is four to six, eight to be. And I'm like, yeah. you know, yeah, we, we are controlling the because when the ball snapped or in your world, when that when that ball's moving around the court, yeah. what's the player? He's thinking something. Yeah. And it's it's a great leader, you know, permeates that brain of the player or thought process of the player. It's a really powerful thing. And I think it's I think it's really true in in anything. And um you know, when you started to share those things, easy things for players to mem uh, to remember uh, in succinct ways, real verbal cues. Um, I, I think it's uh, it's it's really fascinating. Well, this is let me let me add something sure. real quick. Is that you know a player a player like I said right in the in the game of football, it's, it's similar. But the one thing I learned about basketball, it's like hockey; it's just constantly moving. Yeah. You know, football, you go four to six seconds of play. You regroup, get your mind right, and you go again. You know, you huddle. Or if yeah. you even don't huddle, it's it's still going fast, but you get a chance. And my biggest fear, and I've seen coaches do it, I've done it, is when you paralyze a player. And I don't mean physically paralyze, but you paralyze the, the thought process. So yeah. if TD's playing for me, I want him to play as hard as he possibly can. If he yeah. makes a mistake, I don't care. Yeah. You know, you have to convince yourself and you have to convince the players – and I never had a coach say, no more mistakes, you know, because yeah. what, what are you talking about? The game of football is filled with mistakes. Yes. You know what overcomes mistakes? Effort. If you give great effort, I'll take that team over the, first of all, there's no perfect team. Yep. You know, we want to minimize mistakes, but I'll tell you one thing that always wins is effort. 
Yeah. You were, you and I've talked about culture and, and, you know, the difference between, you know, uh, culture and, and kind of your, your programs and values that your, your programs had just kind of your core values versus the, the real culture and culture is something that's been so overused in the last really 15 to 20 years, but your programs were, they were really masterful with it. Um, and in your above the line book, I don't know if it's something that came out of it was building a culture as a three-part process, believe it, sell it, demand it. Uh, culture is what leads when no one is watching. I just love some of these things. Um, leaders create culture. And I've heard you say this to me, leaders create culture, culture drives behavior, behavior produces results. If you're taking over a new program, uh, is that up there in terms of the most important things you're doing? Um, in terms actually, of creating culture. Yeah. Yeah. I've had many conversations with coaches when they're taking over a program, they'll call me in and the number one, there's two things you have to do. Everything else to me is, is I'm not saying it's not important, but it's secondary. You know, you're going to hear, well, we have to go meet with the boosters. Okay. I get it. We're going to have to go uh, look at our facilities and determine if we need to have new practice fields. That's important, but it's not the important. There's two things you have to do when you take over. Number one is talent acquisition. You have to, you know, that's even before culture right now. you got to say, okay, what do we have? Yeah. You know, what, what's in this organization? What do we need? And you put a plan together to get the best talent. And number one are players, number two, staff. The second thing, you have to develop and implement a culture. So you have to say whatever your culture is, and it has to be something that the players can identify with. That's why you got to say you believe it. You know, if I tell our players, if we throw for more yards than every team we play this year, we'll win every game. I don't believe that. And the players, history shows that's not true at all. Yeah. But I can prove this to you. If we play harder than every team we play, we'll never lose a game. Hmm. And I can prove that to you. Hmm. You know, that's so that, that's number one. Believe it. And then number two is just sell it constantly. We're marketing people. We're salesmen. You know, as a yep. head coach, as a leader of a CEO of a, a company, you have to sell it to your people. Yeah. And then at some point after you believe it and sell it, you got to demand it. Yep. And if they're not living up to the culture, you know, a lot of times you got to transition people. You got to make changes, which are always hard. But you you know, you give them a chance to believe it, though. Yep. A lot of times people put the demand it before believe it. And that's when you just have constant turnover in your organization. That's not good. Yeah. What did you look for in hiring your staff, assistant coaches? Was Is it work ethic? Is it ability to evaluate? I'm just uh, – is it uh, – obviously, if you have a defensive coordinator, you know, great understanding and feel, feel for that. Um, was it alignment philosophically? What did you look for? You know, Bel Belichick was so helpful for me as a young coach with this, and I – really did it at first with talent acquisition. But I, then I started grouping talent acquisition, not just players, it's coaching staff. Because coaches are the most, other than player, your assistant coaches are, you're you're going to win or lose because of them. Yeah. And I look back humbly, I've had the best group of assistant coaches maybe in college football history in the last 15, 16, 17 years. So I came up with five qualities that I would have with me. I had it on my desk. I had it in the team room next to the recruiting board. And number one, you could have 30 qualities. But number one to me was always an elite competitor. Refuse to lose. Because that to me covers so much. 
Yeah. You know, if you want to hire a person that's great strategy, well, he's probably a lead competitor. Yeah. Because he's always working for ways not to lose. So a yeah. competitor to me is just refuse to lose. Yeah. You know, I don't want to have people with substance issues as players, but you know what? If you're a lead competitor, you don't. Yeah. Because they know that if you are doing that stuff, you won't play. So you're not a lead competitor. Yeah. So there's a big difference between a lead competitor and a bully. An elite competitor, and this, once again, I learned from Coach Belichick, was that he he would only want to watch Zeke Elliott against championship-level teams. Yeah. He wanted to watch fourth down plays. He wanted to watch overtime. He wanted to watch rivalry games. He didn't want to see us play a small school and watch Zeke run for 250 yards. That just that just clouds your opinion. Yeah. So you want to see an elite competitor. Number two is toughness, mental and physical toughness. It's a tough man. It's a tough world. Yep. Sports are tough men. I mean, it's, it's tough, not tough men, tough women too. in the women's sports. Yep. Uh, number three is leadership. Can you elevate those? Can you lead yourself and lead others? Yep. And not, not necessarily yell on the screen, but elevate people. Hmm. And then the uh, intelligence is next because it's a complex game. And then the ability to adapt. Hmm. Can you adapt to when the play breaks down? Hmm. And though it's very easy, you know, the, the thing that's really easy in our, our world Chris, mine and your world versus corporate America, I found out because I've done some, you know, I've been on some boards and listening and learning. A lot of times they have to get that information from interviews. I think interviews are worthless. Yeah. The way I always did is I did a, I wanted to see their body work and I spoke to people who worked with these people. Yeah. And I would always ask those questions. Are they competitor? Are they tough? Do they lead? Are they intelligent? And can they adapt to situations? That's great. That's really good. Yeah, that that is that is. I think that's really really uh, good stuff there. TD. Yeah, coach. That was. I want to piggyback off of that. Speaking of staffs and how you pick them, if you were to say start it over, coaching in the NFL again, um, what would you do different? I know the transition from college to NFL is totally different, and. Um, what would you do different than you did in Jacksonville? Say you got another opportunity to be a head coach in the NFL. What were some of the things that you saw that you did wrong that you would change and some of the things that you did right? Like what would be the change for you um, going forward? Well, that's a, that's a tough question. You know, it's something that haunts me to this day is I would have done several things different. You know, uh, it'd be, probably about a six hour podcast or <laughs> no and obviously it could be like There's nothing i can the right team coach could be like okay. hey this team, it could it, it could also be hey this team wasn't right for me you know like this organization wasn't correct for me i mean it could be a variety of things just like a couple of bullet points for you that you would change that you know like you needed to change yeah i knew it was going to be risky you know they'd lost 15 straight games before i took over and you know, I went into the place not knowing that, you know, the facilities and everything were so far behind. But that those are all excuses. Those are all, mm -hmm. you know, there's so many things I would have done differently. I still believe at the time, if if given the time, we would have eventually turned that thing. You know, and obviously yeah. you don't have time. And but I would have done some things differently. Okay. The one of the things I've 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 uh, obviously I have a personal relationship with you. Um, and as a friend, it bothers me when there's there's um, perceptions uh, that are not accurate um, in, you know, about people that that I respect and have a relationship with. How did you 
handle, uh, you know, and maybe you just completely ignored it, but kind of uh, what what I would perceive is is clearly unfair perceptions about you um, in in media stuff. That's another good question. You know, I to say I guess I'm at the door here. I have to answer in a second, but sorry. Um, I'm human being, so when I was younger, I would read everything and you know tell you how great you are when you win, tell you are when you make a mistake or you don't play well or you lose. You know that's and the best thing I ever did is just shut it off. And I started thinking, you know, at times I'd read, I'm like, oh, that is not. Where does that come from? Yeah. And and I, sure. the best thing I ever did is, you know, I can't change people's opinions. I can't. I just try to do the very best I can um, and not let it rip me apart. Yeah. Can I take a 30-second break real quick? Absolutely. We'll edit it out. Sure, Coach. All right, 30 seconds. I'll be right back. Okay. No worries. All right, couple more questions. And, no worries, no worries. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to hold you up. So, a couple more questions here. I want to, I want to, um, just, just ask you about, uh, yeah, just about a couple, a couple more things. So, uh, you know, I've heard this uh, talked a lot about level five leadership is the ability to kind of uh, the person who succeeds you for for you to to have elevated the entire organization um uh you know to be able to succeed after you're gone which is clearly the case here urban i mean it's it's clear it's the the highest level ha- highest level of leadership i don't know if that's you know when you reflect back on your time here what are some things that you would say hey i'm most proud of um, obviously a national championship and NFL players across the board. But what would you say, hey, are some things, you know, I just reflect back on and I feel really good about? I, I like how you said that. And I think this is good for uh, these are coaches listening to this. Is You know, the world we live in is very evaluation friendly. You know, at the end of the day, you win or lose. And, you know, there's times you get caught in fights, you can't win, you just don't have the, the firepower. But we never would. We'd always talk about, are you maximizing everybody you got? And that includes players and staff. So I came up with a system over the years, and it was just one through five. Five is elite, three is average, one's poor. And I would just, I, I actually, this is what I did with Gene Smith, the athletic director. I did it with my staff. There were certain guys on my staff I labeled a five. And, man, I can't lose them. That means, you know, it's going to be expensive. We're going to have to pay the guy or gal. We're going to have to. There, or there are three, and that means if they have a better opportunity, that's okay. But it's a very systematic way of doing an evaluation. For many years, I didn't do that, and it was all over the place. You know, mm-hmm. same thing with a player. He's a five. You know, five is all those qualities I just gave you. And so I would just go through the organization, I mean, hundreds of times a year, and I'd walk in 
it sounds silly, but I'd walk into the restrooms at the Woody Hayes facility. I would go walk into the locker room. I would walk into the indoor facility. I just would grade them. I'd write it down. I'd give it to my operations guy. And if it was not a five, I had to know why. Hmm. And I had to, that was a Gene Smith thing. And, hmm. you know, the world's expensive times. If, you know, if, if it's not a five, then we have to, now I'm not talking about frivolous things. I've never yep. been into the, you know, I don't believe in the, the, you see these facilities being built that are swimming pools and, and uh, yep. lazy rivers. And yep. I'm not talking about that. Yep. But if you're talking about a player's welfare, if we don't have the best training room, yep. the best equipment to make sure that player, the best food, all the things that are, this is all about that player maximize, maximizing himself or herself. If it's not a five, that was a bad day, whoever. I mean, that was one of those things we had get the, you know, once again, it had to do with the players. I'm not talking about is my office. I didn't care about my office. You know, yeah. my office doesn't help a player win. Yeah. It helps it helps us recruit, so I had to have it nice, but it didn't have to be a five. But you walked into our training room, our weight room, our nutrition, it better be a five because that has direct impact. Yeah. So I'm very proud of the infrastructure that and Ryan has kept it up. He's actually made it better in some areas. I'm I'm amazed how wonderful a job him and his staff are doing. But the uh the number one thing I'm proud of is to beat that rival seven times. Yeah. I, I look back now and you know, first of all, the respect that I grew up in the 10 year war, you yeah. know, Bo Schembecker against Woody Hayes. And I lived that sucker for the last, what am I? I'm almost 60 years old. I lived that for as long as, what do you think? 57? Yeah. 57 years. I lived that robbery. And yeah. And, and it's, it, it's hatred, but it's respect, Chris. It's one of those, and I talked to you guys, you know, I've talked to many people about this. It's not, yep. you know, I don't believe in chirping about it, Yeah. but how do you, res you want to really respect a man? How do you do it? Yep. You work very hard to beat them, not chirp about it, not take cheap shots. You never heard me come out in the media and say, you know, silly stuff about it because I don't believe That's in right. it. That's but right. I'll tell you what, we worked on that sucker 365. That, yeah, that is um, – it doesn't surprise me to hear you say that, but when you think of all of your accomplishments here – and they're pretty significant. Uh, that that's a pretty powerful statement to say. That's what you're most what you're most proud of. I asked Tom Izzo this a couple of weeks ago. Was, you know, Tom was typical. You know, you know him. Um, uh, typically blunt with his answer. Um, your first year at Bowling Green. Fast forward now to you know um, coaching today. Uh, can you coach kids? the same way um and and if not what are the specific you know specific ways in which you feel like it's just different no not even close and i'm not <laughs> saying it's a bad thing you know i'm not i grew up in a very tough environment i grew up in the woody hayes bo shen beckler yeah. earl bruce you know my father was tough i mean i missed yeah. you, you you miss class with my father oh i mean yeah. first of all i'm not going to miss class yeah you know so it was just much different. You know, I, when I first got to Ohio state, we took away all the Ohio state gear and, you know, you know we, we just, you know, you go six and seven and the people are late for meetings and it was, it was some stuff that had to be corrected. So, you know, I'm not saying it's worse now. I don't want to be that old guy that sits back and say, well, the way back when I was, no, yeah. it's just different. And you have to adapt yeah. and you're feeling it. I'm sure I know where I talked to Ryan a lot. I talked to our strength coach quite a bit, you know, there's a day TD, you probably remember you missed class, man. It was a, you're at 5 a.m. and you're you're dragging your chin off the the, the hardwood floor. Yeah, you know okay. you don't do that anymore. 
You don't. You know, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a bad thing. You know, uh, so it's a much different. And the other thing that's got me is the transfer portal. You know, that's because I just hear stories. But Gene Smith gave me a real interesting perspective about transferring. You know, when a player transferred, I was so angry. And he says, well, instead of that, let's let's focus on why he transferred and make sure, you know, we're all human. So if there's yeah. a mistake, if something's not good enough, fix it. Yeah. Now, if the player just transferred because they're running from an issue or a competition or something like that, you can't help yeah. that. Yeah. But really take a – and we started to. We didn't have many transfers. No, you and didn't. Because we really focused on – if the player is transferred, why is the academics not good enough? Is it now it's we practice too hard or he's, he's a third string player that wants to be a starter. You can't control that. Yeah. But there are other things you can make better. If you look at the perspective of the player. Last two things. And then, and then we'll get you out of here. What, what did you see? Just maybe share with, share with the listeners here. What did you see with, we talked about hiring assistants. What'd you see with Ryan that made you feel like, he would be uh, as good as he's been? Well, I knew my target was almost 55 years old. I had a couple of health, you know, I had that brain cyst that I was dealing with. And and I I started to, you know, your legacy, especially Ohio State. I mean, that was my home. And, yep. and I would talk to Gene. I talked to our old president about that. I said, you know, I'm not, this is not, I'm not one of those guys can do this forever. I'm just not built that way. I don't want to. Yep. You know, I wanted to go maybe another year, you know, um, but I wanted to find the right guy and I've never, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of is I, I mentioned earlier, our infrastructure, yep. our academic support, our strength training program, our training staff, our recruiting staff. I think it's the best in the history of college football. And I'm biased, but look what's happening. Yeah. It, and they don't get enough credit. Yeah. And we have a group, great group of assistants. So, if I would have uh, stepped away from Ohio State and handed it to someone else, you know, all those people are probably gone. Mm-hmm. And that's not fair. So I was really with intention looking for who could potentially take over. Because that's the – Ohio State's is harder harder than any job in the country. Mm-hmm. And when I hired Ryan Day, I did not know it. But when I got him and I saw right away, he's a lead at everything. Yeah. He genuinely cares about the player. Yep. He's an elite strategy guy as far as offensive acumen, but, yep. but he also really understands the game. He not from Ohio, but I made sure I spent a lot of time with him. And he's a smart person to understand the political yep. environment that you're dealing with because it is. It's yep. a very political state. I'm not saying that negative. It's just Ohio State's a big monster. Yeah. And you have to, you know, you have to spend your time judiciously because you're getting pulled every which way. Yeah. And I just thought the term that came to my mind, and I've shared this, is he's elated everything. Yeah. And I'm very proud of him. Yeah. It, again, it speaks to it speaks to your leadership, the, the the how the transition has been has been so smooth. We're, you know, recording this around the time that Gene's announced his retirement. Uh, what do you what do you think made him so successful a, as an athletic director uh and had, you know, such a really incredible long a successful run. You know, when they offered me the job uh, in, a, in a hotel room in Atlanta, Georgia, in 2000, December of 2011, and I sat there, the board of trustees, the president, Gene, um, some other people were in the room. My wife was in the room. And I never even asked the salary because, you know, I never really, that's not driven me. 
winning has driven me. And I said, I need my strength coach, Mickey Marotti. And uh, <clears throat> number two, you can never say no if it's about the student athlete's welfare. And it's, it can get expensive. You know that. Hmm. You know, if you're going to hire the best trainers, best physical therapists, the best nutrition, the best equipment, <clears throat> that gets very expensive. And I don't want to have some, you know, I didn't know Gene. I knew of him. But I didn't want to all of a sudden, I'm talking about the players. We need this because of players of health. Yeah. I don't want to have someone say, well, we can't afford that. Yeah. You know, that, that and I'm not talking about, like I said, the assistant coaches' offices. I didn't, that, that wasn't a priority yeah. of mine. Yeah. And the one thing that made Gene, you know, how many times he said no to me as far as player athlete, uh, student athlete welfare? Never. Hmm. And that's because he was a student athlete. Yeah. You know, we went right. to Notre Dame. And we had many conversations about, you know, real life Wednesdays. We had, you know, about life after football, about de the developing the whole player. You know, yeah. we started that little slogan developed here because it's an A to Z. It's not, we're going to teach you to run fast and jump high. You know, we're, we're, when you leave Ohio state, you better be ready to get out in the real world and you know from job fairs to fiscal responsibility, all the things we yeah. did, that wasn't cheap, yeah. but as a result, you know, we have, extremely high success rate of guys getting jobs when they're done playing. So uh, that's Gene Smith's strength to me. Yeah. Coach. Uh, yeah. You're, you're, uh, you know, I've stolen a lot from you, but the real life uh, program is something we, we, you know, we took right away here. Um, Cause I just think it's, it is really about the whole person and there's nothing that kind of exemplifies that more than, than you having a program in the off season uh, that, that prepares guys for, for life after, um, after ball. So, Hey, um, this has been fascinating as always. I knew it would be, it's always one of my favorite conversations. So uh, I, I really, really do appreciate it and uh, uh, appreciate your friendship and, and, and everything urban and uh, look forward to seeing you on TV and look forward to seeing you in Columbus. Thanks, TD. Good seeing you. Much respect. Uh, Good seeing you, Coach. Pull, I was pulling for you, man. You know that. All right. Yep. Thanks so much, Irvin. Take care, Coach. All right, that was outstanding with Urban. Um, always one of my favorite conversations. He's, um, I, I think he's, as we talked about it, I think he's fascinating in terms of uh, um, who he is as a coach and a leader in his career. His uh, really been up there in terms of one of the all-time great uh, college football coaches. So um, really, really enjoyed hearing from him. Uh, wish he and his family, Shelly, Nikki, Gigi, and Nate uh, well, and look forward to seeing a coach in Columbus and on the Fox broadcast here uh, in the coming weeks. So thanks so much for joining us today.